0: Part one of my interview with Major Fred Galvin discussed the ambush and actions on the objective. Part two is full of politics, political motives, and irresponsible behaviors. It actually focuses on one of the biggest problems plaguing society today, a society where people are guilty until they can prove their innocence. Media, power, and politics are positive influencers when used responsibly and in the pursuit of truth and facts. But as you'll quickly learn, when used irresponsibly or abused in general, Well, it can ruin lives. Here's part two.
1: Literally days later, an investigating officer arrives on the 8th. American Air Force colonel shows up at our base on the 8th, starts to interview us. The, The first two vehicles he interviewed us on the 9th, he hadn't talked to any Afghans, just interviewed the Americans in the first two vehicles, and we were ordered out. So, before any findings of fact uh, is, you know, in the Marines, is, as you know, being an investigating officer, as an, as an officer, when, if you're in the course of your investigation, if you find someone or something that is evidence of criminal conduct or mm-hmm. misconduct, you have to read an individual that you believe may, there's evidence or there may be a suspicion of, of a crime, not as some kind of like minor, but a, of a crime
0: of a war crime. Cause that's yeah. what, that's what the accusation yes. was.
1: So you have to stop and read them their, their rights. In, yes. In civilian world, we call it Miranda rights uh, military. It's 31 article 31B, mm-hmm. the U S code. You have to read them their rights. the rights rights were never read to any of us throughout the whole investigation, not just day one, but we were kicked out and they had not even gotten the, the Afghan side of the story. You know, no marine to this day has said, "Yeah, you know, uh, we mowed these guys down." Uh, the
0: the the final question I have about actions on the objective is: Were any of your men killed, or was it just the one wounded? Just the one wounded
1: is very. I'll talk about how in the yeah. world. Yes, I know
0: a car bomb, the biggest you've point ever blank. seen, point yes. blank goes off through yes. through the the light skinned vehicle of yes. the six. Yes and all all we've come away with are some burns
1: and evidence later showed from the army criminal investigative lab that our vehicle was hit not with just 7.62 but 7.62 from a soviet dragunov sniper rifle so sniper rifle so we were getting shot at from multiple echelons you know mounted in a vehicle dismounted echelons bounding at us sniper fire blocked in with an obstacle, and men... Yeah, you had
0: four different elements hitting you.
1: One guy trapped on the bicep. uh, Fully returned to duty. So, I'm not trying to get crazy, but similar to many deployments when I was a force recon platoon commander in Iraq, when we were just being dumped on with machine gun and volley fire from rocket-propelled grenades, there's a lot of people out there, maybe their life, everybody has some crucible moment, or you will have eventually. you can say I was a glutton for punishment because I, I love being in force reconnaissance and in these Marine special operations communities uh, around extraordinary Marines that are just, they're selfless and they will, but just like uh, general George Washington, when you realize that what you're fighting and facing is far greater than yourself or what your Marines can do collectively, I realized, like, there was divine providence and divine protection. You know, for me, a lot of my mission preparation would be, you know, through prayer, through understanding and believing that God will be there and He's going to protect us. And to, on the objective to have not just a sense of protection and faith, but a sense of boldness and courage. That you know, everybody has their definition of courage and everything. Like, you're overcoming your fear, and you, you are. But to try to do that yourself is, you. Some, Maybe a maniac can just be fearless on his own, but for me, it was a reliance on God, knowing that God's protected me so many countless times and was there. And you know, if you want to talk to Tom Brady, like what he's doing, or Conor McGregor, like what he did, you know, don't you want to know, like, you know, what George St. Pierre, what what made him a champion? Like for me, it wasn't just what I was doing. God gave me some talents, and He wanted me to use those to the best of my ability, and I did. But and our, our Marines did the best they did. But there was things that you cannot explain when. When a van, a large van, <clears throat> a high-ace van detonates in the massive explosion, burns the trees 100, over 100 feet above us and set this Marine on fire. And, but he has you know, the mental wherewithal and fortitude to stand up immediately on his feet, extinguish his flames, and kill people that are driving straight at him. I mean, that's a, it's just a miracle that that whole entire vehicle, because I've seen what's happened when they have these types of IEDs that go off on or underneath vehicles. There's nothing left. So
0: miracle. Okay. So you find out very quickly when you get back that everything had been reported. And I think it's important to point out there was, there was one other episode a few days later. Um, I don't know if you were there or if that was just, you know, one of your men, but as I, as uh, or one of your uh, lieutenants, but as I understood it, um, the sense was that somebody was operating in a yes. little bit of a rogue cowboy yes. off the grid manner. Yes. So very quickly, what yes. happened there? Because if I'm not mistaken, that combined with everything oh, yeah. yes. is really what led to you being uh, relieved of command.
1: Yeah. So good question. This is explained in depth in the book, but the highlights of it is after the 4th March ambush, all, so there was a lot of, Psychological operations going on in the military, and without getting into anything classified, we sense a lot of different uh, intelligence coming from multiple sources. So, we, we're picking up a lot of what the enemy's plan is to do to us, and that is that they wanted to run a double car bomb through our front gate and okay. attack us on our base. Because on the 4th of March, they said, Hey, everybody's prohibited across the country of Afghanistan. This was so such a large scale. Nobody could could leave the wire until this investigation's over because, I mean, there's just massive riots. The president of Afghanistan's condemning us. And so if, if we can't go after the enemy and the enemy's, you know, telegraphing, you know, we're we're picking all this stuff up that they're going to attack our base. So what led to what you mentioned on the 9th of March is, you know, we're receiving all this intelligence knowing that they plan to you know, run two car bombs through the front gate and do a full-on attack on our base. So we're like, so we were submitting uh, concepts of operations to to get approved, to go out and collect information on where we knew that leader was. So we submitted uh, these three different missions to go outside the wire. And one of them, a platoon commander got overzealous and because he wanted to without getting into in depth. And this, is, this was used as a shell game during the trial because mm-hmm. they would tell something like, well, these guys tried to deceive us. And they were talking about something that happened five days later on the 9th of March where a platoon did, they tried to get close to and collect some information. It was- No it was, shots fired. No shots fired is, is totally intended and to that be- that wasn't the mission non, Non-invasive. Okay. And that mission, before it got anywhere near, was aborted. So uneventful. Didn't really happen. But there was a a platoon commander said something to me. You know, I approved a mission to go from one of our bases. As soon as we were cleared, we can leave. Those of us who were on the ambush patrol, the patrol that got ambushed, were restrained to the base. We couldn't leave. Okay. But we could go from one base that we had at Jalalabad to another base we had at the foot of the Torbor Mountains on the main road. And this platoon commander intended, like, well, I'm just going to do a little... Recon juke and do a head fake and come down here to get a little closer and detect, see if I can detect some things that are going on, not to engage. And, but as soon as he deviated from his pattern, we aborted the mission and he returned to base and nothing happened. But they're so they came back and they're like, Hey, let's, uh if somebody asks, tell them that you were, you know, going down to our other base and let's keep it at that. And then, the gunnery sergeant said no. Somebody asked you tell them the truth, and so that was uncovered, and that was. See, there's
0: a novel concept. If yeah. someone asks you, tell them the truth. Yeah. Hmm.
1: And in so a year later during the trial, they kept saying things in the courtroom, playing the shell game, saying Todd, you know, is it intended to deceive these guys? They they came up with a story and they would say that that was in reference to the 4th of march in the ambush like like there was a conspiracy there was a cover up we like we got together our stories and it's like no and and then when we'd go to defend ourselves you know okay they'd take the media all out so the media kept hearing that there was um that there, there was, was an ambush deception. yeah and that yeah. we had some intentional so they were mixing you know one thing with the next you know, the media was never able to figure it out. In fact, there's a reporter from the Los Angeles Times that covered the trial extensively for the whole three and a half weeks, David Zacchino. Now he works for the, he worked for the LA Times. He works for the New York Times now. But when he was reporting for the LA Times through the whole trial, he said, um, at the end of the whole trial, he says, I'm paraphrasing, but I don't actually know really what happened. Because the, the full details was confusing. So this book, You know, I fought for 11 years, both with who did the initial Article 15-6 is uh, the military term for the preliminary investigation that was controlled and handled by Special Operations Command. But I fought to get that uh, declassified. There's no reason to classify it in the first place and released, which I've got the majority of that after 11 years. And even I've, I've narrowed it down. I've been requesting the last five years for just one sentence which they've still never given me, and they're just we're so busy. It's the Freedom of Information Act requir- requires that you not basically classify anything for the purpose of saving somebody from embarrassment. It, you classify things because it's classified for national security. But this again is gun battle, and then we also fought and. Uh, with the convening authority for the Marines, the Marine Central Command, to get that declassified. So this book compiles all that. And when you read what happened in the courtroom, that is verbatim sworn. When you see those quotes, that's what they said under sworn testimony on the stand. And you read all this stuff, and you're like, I think the reader's going to understand that, like, they didn't just uh, say that, but they got away with this. All these people got promoted to four stars, and, like, one of them is about ready to take over all the forces in Europe. Supreme is just nominated as Supreme Allied Commander for all of Europe. Had his hand. So these guys are still in circulation.
0: Is that uh, Nicholson?
1: No, Nicholson has retired, but this is Chris Cavoli, who is Nicholson's battalion commander. Okay. So he's a lieutenant colonel while Nicholson was a colonel.
0: Okay. So, uh, and, and I, I do want to make sure everybody understands, the book is is, is A Few Bad Men, um, and there are so many details we could go into here. I can't have time, yeah. But, but there, we obviously don't have time but I do want I do want to focus on what I think and, and somehow, you know, when I've talked to you about this, I don't hear anything bitter. And I don't I don't you're no. you're not a bitter individual about no. this. But the the reality from the facts that I know is that you have every reason to be. Yes. And some would argue every right to be. Um and i and I applaud your your professionalism. I applaud mm-hmm. your uh, taking a higher road in all of this, and just merely yeah. wanting people to know the truth. Um, you know, certainly your truth as as you saw it. And the one thing that I keep coming back to, that keeps playing in my mind is there's twenty minutes from the time the firefight ends. A five-minute firefight, so twenty-five minutes worth of time. Yes, when this thing was getting reported, and if I'm not mistaken, there was, it was not just a report. There was, they were using, uh, video, or was it just a report? So there was no
1: video that was used in the court. Um, maybe,
0: maybe some B-roll that they were using yeah. or something.
1: They used a picture that a, a non-government organizational worker who was in charge. She provided. Uh, that uh, photographic evidence in her own testimony uh, from Afghanistan that showed evidence of car bomb because some of the Afghans... Were... Which
0: was everywhere in the yeah. country.
1: Yes. And some of the Afghans were saying there was no car bomb. Others said that the Marines threw grenades to make it look like there was some enemy attack. I mean, their statements were completely inconsistent. So, yes, what happened in that, by the end of the trial, the end of the three and a half weeks, it was incontrovertible. I mean, facts were presented. It showed exactly what happened. It was indisputable. I mean, the the panel members all understood and and wrote a detailed executive summary, 99 pages of exactly what happened. And, but it, I that's what kind of was upsetting that they used these millimouth words that the press ran on and just. Dis- so it's one thing to say you you've been exonerated. It's another thing to use. Okay, okay,
0: hold hold yes. hold that thought because. Because that, to me is the is kind of the next step in all of no. this, but the the part that that just really kind of makes me wonder how in the world I mean it was it was dereliction as far as, okay, you mean to tell me in twenty minutes, inside of twenty minutes, yes. they were able to prepare a full news story, run it through editors, run it through fact checks, publish it. Get it, get it on the teleprompter, get it in inside the mouth of of the reporter. And oh, by the way, not one of the senior folks who bought into this ever asked that question. And if they did, then they're accepted. I mean, they either know nothing about the media, which I don't know anything about the media, but I've shot a video or two and I understand what goes into it. Right. It ain't happening in twenty minutes, man. No. So what was going on at
1: that point is this is a very sophisticated level of information warfare. They employed stringers, so people with they got played, paid, you know, credentials from you, not us, but international media. Um, and the book goes into depth and it names names of me- media members. So because this got played on us too, this further nailed the coffin in our grave. Um, so. As I said, and I'm going to reverse the tail of tape back to that that micro moment at the ambush site. We got ambushed. We decided abort the mission. There's nothing here. We left. And as I mentioned, 15 minutes later, this military police came. U.S. Army military police with Afghan National Army uh, set up, you know, crime scene, and they were doing their investigation in in the bad guy place in Bodyco, the, the village where we were attacked, and. So they, so the U.S. Army Colonel Nicholson ordered an investigation because the Afghans were complaining that um, U.S. Marines had messed with the media, saying, "You delete these photos, or I'll delete you." So that's why you didn't see photographic evidence. So army members were threatening credentialed, badge carrying uh, members of the media uh, who were out there taking evidence and saying, "Hey." And in that Article 15-6 that Colonel uh, Nicholson's—he had a subordinate battalion, that Lieutenant Colonel Chris Cavoli, his executive officer was this uh, Major Urquhart. Mm -hmm. And Major Urquhart said, uh, due to the extreme situations that the Marines had just had a complex ambush, our soldiers were allowed—were justified in using these extreme procedures in in confiscating cameras and— and doing all this stuff, but even after that investigation was done, you know the the international headlines were that the Marines, they didn't say the Marines. I mean, Nicholson was such a terrible officer because he said the Marines fled, but then the media was saying that the Marines went back to cover up the evidence, to you know, to threaten the reporters, and that we went back, and so that was also working, and that's we couldn't get support from anybody because people thought that like not only did we kill these civilians
0: tried to cover it up
1: but that we went back and you know so that was in people's minds and then you have a year later during the trial these prosecutors trying to portray that you know we we were trying to cover up and you know this conspiracy and get our story straight that you know that's why so many people didn't didn't want to side with us whatsoever because You know, there was this information warfare, which we as Americans can do when it's approved by our authorities, you know, our military authorities to do information, we can do it on the enemy. Mm -hmm. It's, it's unlawful to do it against our own military soldiers and against the American people, which is what happened in that courtroom. There was an intent to maliciously deceive members of the media, which are broadcasting to the people
0: of the United States about what really happened. That to me is one of the the concerns that I've always had about a Marine Corps unit being under a special operations command and not being not reporting directly to Marines. Right. Um, but even still, Marines weren't jumping to your defense.
1: Right?
0: How do you not get yeah. bitter through that? Yeah. I mean, even if you were wrong, you would expect yes some of these the these. These gentlemen yeah. to jump in and have your sex.
1: Yeah, two things on that, Todd. And one, I'll talk about some background before that. And two, the actual people that weren't just non-supportive, but were, you know, prejudging us. So, the, but the first, the background.
0: Big word, and that's yeah. that's in, that's crucial. Prejudging.
1: Yes. So to provide some color, Donald Rumsfeld had been Secretary of Defense in Vietnam, and I'm just going to hit some high wave tops. Then. So, you know, he was a naval officer. He understood how vital special operations forces are in like guerrilla warfare in, from the Vietnam era. Uh, smart man goes on and gets his doctorate, serves a number of corporate roles, very successful. Uh, Bush 43, hires him to be a secretary of defense for a second term, and when the war on terror starts, he gives the order to not just the Marine Corps. People think, like, oh, no, he gives the order to all the joint services, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, To increase their special operations capacity. The Marine Corps at that time had no special operations forces. We had our own elite force reconnaissance. There's a lot of people in the Department of Defense that didn't want, both in the Marine Corps and the Special Operations Command didn't want this competition either because you said the inter service rivalry. So what took place was the Marine Corps and a lot of people said, you know what, we'll do, we'll slow roll this thing because Bush, just like his dad, the senior, probably be a one term president and he'll, he'll leave, and his administration and Rumsfeld will be gone with it. Guess what happened in 2004? Bush got elected his second term, unlike his father. Rumsfeld stayed on. Rumsfeld then gave the order, like, hey, Marine Corps? I don't want any more proof of concept with this Special Operations Detachment 1. Make it happen. D- Donald Rumsfeld wanted us to get in the fight, and the Marine Corps put us on ship, so there was a lot of resistance in the Marine Corps. And then when we get over into the tactical level, it a colonel command, it's not like, I mean, that's like you inviting your girlfriend to meet your wife. You know, the, the colonel doesn't want the competition against his green braids. Hell no. Sure. Sorry. And, uh, no, but no
0: it, I that's, I think that's a, I think that's an incredibly valid point and And, and it makes a lot of sense. I mean, and, and so the, the, the big challenge for you guys is you are facing opposing forces from within and without external and internal. Yes. I mean, did, did you ever stop and say to yourself? It's unwinnable. Yeah. Th- this is unwinnable. What am I doing uh, here?
1: I was naive, and I'm going to talk around some issues, but there was a gentleman who's addressed in the book. Um, he's a friend of mine who served in Force Recon, He's working for another government agency at that time. He was in Afghanistan, and he said, Hey, Fred, they don't know who I am. They just see me as a bearded guy in the back of the room. And, uh, but I've been at Bagram, at the Special Operations Task Force headquarters, and all they're saying is, as soon as these Marines get on the ground, the first thing they can do, they're going to kick us out of here. He's like, so basically, we have a source hearing it from their mouth that the Green Berets don't want this competition here. Uh, that Colonel wants a successful combat deployment. I don't think the Colonel himself had ill will, but he's not setting us up for success. He's basically saying, it, walk around these mountains, uh, have a little field trip, and have fun. There's nothing going on up there. I'll be out of here in a month. You know, peace. Let's keep it easy. But I wanted to answer your question about, you know, in the second thing I was mentioning about the prejudgment. So when we get booted out, it's not like people didn't have our backs. People were aggressively prejudging us, making overt statements in the press. And I'm going to give you a couple of them. So General Pace was the chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff at the time. He said, this would be a nick on our pride. He said he spoke with General Conway, who at that time was a commandant of the Marine Corps, who General Conway told him, and he's saying this to the press, during a criminal investigation. This basically erodes our right of the presumption of innocence. And, you know, to me this is contemptuous, to destroy what the Constitution should protect. And General Pay said that, General Conway said, he's deeply ashamed of these Marines. You know, there was General Kearney, who's an Army two star in charge of the Special Operations Command in the Middle East. And then you had Nicholson. Nicholson said the most, you know, slanderous character assassination this was a terrible, quoting, this was a terrible, terrible mistake. This was a stain on our honor that Marines killed innocent Afghan civilians. And he went on this long speech and said this to both the Afghans in a public ceremony and to the Pentagon in a press conference. Uh, from Afghanistan, but it was televised to the Pentagon press conference. Kearney made multiple statements. Then, after basically our entire Marine chain of command and the, the battlefield commander, Nicholson, Kearney, the commander of all special operations in the Middle East, they make these slanderous accusations against us. During a criminal investigation, one, one man stood up, Congressman Walter B. Jones, the God rest his soul. He didn't know us. Directly or indirectly, none of our families even talked to his offices or anything. But he was the congressman for the second district in North Carolina, man of honor, man of faith, man of courage, and he stood up and on the floor without us even knowing. uh, And I heard the on C-SPAN. I'll never forget it. He said these Marines' rights have been maligned. Uh, He told the Secretary of the Army and Secretary of Defense that these Army officers need to restrain, need to be restrained, and cannot be. Making these public statements while there's a criminal investigations and the facts are not completely uh, proven. Bottom line, we were prejudged, and to prejudge and slander people publicly by that level of leadership in a military process that has is very susceptible to command influence because these everybody in the military. There's few people that say, "Oh, I don't, I don't care about getting promoted." I mean, these are you're you're pulling from officers on the East coast, which are usually politicized. And I mean, you saw working there in, uh, in Washington, DC. I mean, those guys, they, they aspire to be a general and they, they're going to do anything possible to not all of us, not all. Yeah. (laughs) But would you agree that the majority there, there,
0: there are a lot of, of box checkers in in that regard. And, you know, I mean, this is, I really cannot, again, I can't wait to read it. You and I have talked about a lot of this, um, you know, but not all of it. Um, but I, I've I've got to ask you the simple question on which this podcast is based. Yes. What lessons have you taken away from this? Because you've been through, quite honestly, a hell of an ordeal. In and of itself, yes. the firefight. That's an ordeal. I've had 15 years
1: to process this, and because you say I'm not better and I'm not, but there needs to be change. We're, I'm going to diverge to converge. We're seeing right now in Russia the effects of a military force suffering from low morale. If we don't believe that that can happen, and I believe in, I just left four years of government service for the military just this last week. And I'm seeing things that are evidence that when people want to retire as soon as they can the 20-year mark, good quality people, those are indications of morale problem. None of these guys are saying, I'm getting out and I'm getting this great job at Tesla. You know, they're they're there saying, I want to get out at 20 years and just do something else. However, for your men, the Marines, men and women that are that you're in charge of in the military, <clears throat> When you're leading them in a fight, you must give every cell, every bit of energy, every fiber in your soul focus on fighting with them and allowing them the chance to succeed. And for me, that's been a that's not this tactical. That's like, you know, Caesar having this campaign and through Gaul and France and, and pushing through Europe. You have to have that long term, long game, deep mindset. And for me it's been fifteen years
0: in this I mean, moment- It's commitment.
1: It is. And this book and movie are a bigger piece of what must change, and that is that men and women who have answered their country's call, who have and are willing to fight in the future for our nation, should not be subject of this type of abuse. When you maliciously go after people to to put something on, and, and like in our case, when you don't use legal terms and you're willing to have this black cloud follow them and not set the record straight, Because this is an atrocity. People talk about like, well, you guys, you were like the melee incident of Vietnam in the 21st century. What happens is like these guys were innocent and you need to see what the whole cover up, the failure was of these guys that served at the 30 to 40 year, they knew better. These are American leaders in uniform, people that American people trust. One of the highest demographics that people trust is military officers and they intentionally with malice decided to distort the truth and to continue to perpetuate this and never you know they circled the wagons they had a conspiracy and they're never letting it out and that's why to f- to fight me from getting this information for 11 years you know to to take 3 times as long to, for this to go cleared through the Pentagon for the Pentagon's office of prepublication security review it's not they're not free and willing they don't want they want this to come out like Radioactive waste. Uh, And so bottom line, the truth does need to be told. Changes need to be made.
0: Last question. Yes. Who are you carrying?
1: Well, I'd like to talk about um, a Marine Staff Sergeant, Chris Antonick. Tell us about Chris. He was in our Force Recon platoon in Iraq, and he's selfless man, complete courage, you know, loved his friends and family and his wife. And then he also transitioned to MARSOC, uh, was a Marine Raider and uh, fought in Afghanistan with the Marine Special Operations Command, Uh, did what he loved. And he, we got, he became a casualty and bled out and died in Afghanistan and
0: that is fighting for his country he died. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, those, are the, those are the ones that we don't ever want to stop breathing their name again. Right. Brad, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Todd.